0: Please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is what we'll be looking at this morning. going to be starting with verse 6 this morning. <clears throat> I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, throughout the Bible. It's a passage that, that speaks of what Christ has done. It's a passage that speaks uh, of His glory and how He is exalted right now. Uh, And so I want us to do maybe something that's just a little different than what we normally do when we come to this time of the service. I want to ask you just to stand as we read this because we are reading about the exalted nature of Christ as what he has done. So listen as I read from Philippians chapter 2 starting verse 6. Speaking of Christ who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with a with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and for this reason also god highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so the name of jesus Every knee will bow. Of those who are in earth and on earth and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> this passage is rich. This is passage that is filled With good news. I want you you just to think about some of the things that are said in this passage. That the Son of God went from his exalted position with the Father in heaven, came to the earth, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. And then it says that he is exalted now, he's been raised up. And the name that is above every name has been put upon Christ, Lord, Lord over everything. That name has been put upon him, that he is Lord over all, and that there is coming a day where every knee will bow before him and say that he is Lord. There is coming a point where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're awake, but that, that is good news. I mean, that is good stuff. This is, this is a point, I know we're, we're calm, sedate Baptists a lot of times, but this is a point when we get to something like this where it's okay to say amen or praise the Lord or something like that because we're reading about the glory of Christ and that he is exalted. So, so let me try this again, and let's see kind of what kind of response we get when, when knowing about the glory of Christ here. And so listen to this. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, there we go. This is good, rich stuff that should make our hearts just overflow with joy and passion excitement for the, for the glory of Christ. Now, what I, what I want us to think about is not, not so much exactly all the content of this passage, but I want us to think about why did Paul put this here? Why did Paul put this, this astounding, theologically glory-filled passage here in Philippians chapter 2? Because A lot of scholars look at this and they, they think that this was actually a hymn that early Christians sang. And so it's like Paul took this hymn and he inserted it right here, just speaking about the glory of Christ and what Christ has done. So really, why is it? Why is Paul dealing with this situation right here? Why is he pointing to the exalted nature of Christ? Well, I think if we're going to really understand that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Philippians. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time reading the Scripture this morning than we normally would, but that's okay, because Scripture is the Word of God, and it's always good to read that. So I'm going to start... Actually, at chapter one, verse one, we're gonna. I want to go all the way up to uh, where we were in chapter two, so you can get and hear understand why it is that Paul is dealing with this passage where he is. So, Philippians chapter one, starting at verse one, listen to this. And as we go, I want you, to, I want you to hear Paul's love for this church, his passion for them, and his excitement about how God has been working among them. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus." For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole praetorian garden to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. But what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ; to die is gain. For if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now I do not know which way to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. This is is a church that Paul loves dearly. He, he has seen how the Lord has worked in them and he has seen how they've been growing in the faith. He has seen how they've uh, been proclaiming the gospel and stood firm upon the gospel and that they, they have this joy together. And, and did you notice that Paul is continually praying for them? Did you notice that he has this joy for them? And did you catch this? That he desires for them to be one. Toward the end of chapter one, did you hear his emphasis on them being one? He talked about them having one spirit uh, in verse 27. Verse 27, having one mind, striving together for the faith of the the gospel. And so Paul is emphasizing here how how he desires that church at Philippi to be gathered together as one body, as kind of one mind uh, thinking together. And so now I want you to listen to what he says next here as we go on in chapter two. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if, there, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at verse 1 there, chapter 2. Paul looks at at everything that he said in chapter 1 there, and he says, therefore. Now, you remember what we do when we come to the Bible and we do that? We get to therefore. What do we ask? What's the question that we ask? What's it there for? You all have been listening to Pastor Bill. yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you say, what's it there for? Well, he says, therefore, do this. So you look back at what he said before this, and he's talked about how he's confident in their growth in Christ, that he wants them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, how it's been granted for them to believe and to suffer, and how he wants them to be one in mind and one in spirit. And so he says, therefore, therefore, based on, on all those things, here's what I say. If there's any encouragement in Christ, there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Do you, do you get kind of what Paul's saying there here? If, if, if there's anything at all that in you that you are a follower of Christ, if you have, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if you have any consolation of love, if you have any fellowship of the Spirit, if you have any affection and compassion, if you know the Lord at all, here's what I want for you. Do you hear the seriousness with which he's saying that and how he's wanting everybody there at Philippi to get this? If you have these things, here's what I want you to do. And he begins to go through talking about how he wants them to have the same mind, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, don't look out for their own interests, and have the attitude of Christ. Now here's where we get to what we've been talking about in those those verses about Christ. Remember, we read that in this exalted nature of Christ. Paul puts that section in there speaking about Christ and what he has done it's great rich theology but he doesn't put it in there just for our theological edification he puts that in there as an example he puts it there as an example for us now look through, look through verses um, 2 3 and 4 for me look through those verses just real quickly what, what's kind of the common theme that seems to be coming out of those verses? Don't be selfish. Yeah, this is, yeah, you can answer back. This is okay. Yeah, don't be selfish. This is don't look out to your own self, but look out for the needs of others. And then what he does is he brings in this great Christ him and says, hey, I want you to look at this as an example of what it means to not look out for your own needs, but to look out for the needs of others. So he says in verse 5 there, have the same attitude, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was the attitude that he was describing about Christ? The selflessness of Christ. Now I want you to think about Christ for just a moment. Think for just a second about why Christ came. Christ did not come that he would be served, but to serve. Christ came to lay his life down as a ransom for many. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. We can go through again and again and again all these different scriptures in the New Testament that point to, uh, to the reality of Christ coming not for his own sake and for his own pleasure in this world, but for the purpose of seeking and saving after that which was lost. And so as we, we think about this, and we're looking at this passage, think to yourself just a second about how is it that Christ suffered in this life? He came not in some exalted, exalted circumstance, but how was he born? Born to Virgin Mary, born in very modest circumstances, living, being born there in that, uh, in that stable, living life as a man and experiencing all the pain that comes with that and then you know all the suffering that came on the cross. A life that was filled with pain, difficulty, suffering. And why did he come? To glorify God by seeking after and saving the lost. And Paul says, I want you to have this same attitude. I want you to have this kind of mindset where you don't look after what you think are your rights. You don't look after what you think is your best interest, but you look after the rights and the uh, the needs of others. Look at what it says in verse 6. Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, not to be taken advantage of, don't take advantage of his position as, as God himself, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. Now, I, I was teaching uh, on this passage one time, and uh, I got to this, uh, this verse where it said that he emptied himself. And, and I asked the class, what do you think it means by, uh, by Jesus emptying himself? And uh, I got an answer that uh, kind of scared me just a little bit uh, at first. This woman said, oh, that, that means that he, uh, that he laid aside being God. He wasn't God anymore. No, that does not mean that. It does not mean that Jesus stopped being God. But when it talks about him emptying himself, it's this idea of, of, of laying down his rights and, and pouring himself out in ministry and service. So he didn't take up his rights as God and say, say that everybody must bow to me and serve me right here and, 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 and wash my feet and, and I'm not going to suffer for you. No, he, he laid down his life in suffering and service for those who are his. And so Paul looks at this and, and says, here, here's the example that I hold up to you, church at Philippi. This is the example that I want you to look at and say, this is the kind of attitude that you need to have. This is the mindset that you need to have in your life about looking not for your own self, but to the needs of others. So I think that this is an important passage for us to come to as Grace Baptist Church. You know, as you've heard Pastor Bill talk about and uh, and really all of us talk about over the past several months, uh, we, we have entered into what is an extremely dangerous time. In which we we are attempting this this great task of a, building a building and, and we're seeing God work in that and how He's provided and how He's done all these things, <clears throat> but now comes the time where it be it's going to be so easy for us to be distracted, and it's going to be so easy for us to start looking at things that that maybe we don't like, and we start nitpicking little things, or we start uh, saying, well, why did why was that done? Why did she do that? Why didn't she pick? this color rather than that color. Are these chairs just really kind of uncomfortable to me. Or you know, just any number of things. And and what we what we see Satan doing is working in these small ways to kinda kinda enter in some little cracks and sow these little thoughts in minds that, well, why is this happening? You know, that's just so frustrating what she's doing. I, I, why did he do that? That just I can't believe that he did that and, and these things that maybe we hadn't really been thinking much before Satan is really working his little fingers in to work these kind of thoughts in our minds and so we want to make sure that that we have the right attitude that Paul presents to us that we're to have as we enter into this time and, and so I want us to look at at these three commands uh, these three verses here verses 2 through 4 to look and think what does it mean for us, Grace Baptist Church, to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus? These commands that, that Paul says, I, I want you to do this. What does that mean? What does it look for like for us as Grace Baptist Church? So let's start at verse 2. Paul says, if you have any of these things, if you, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Being of the same mind. The the idea here in the Greek is, is to, to have the same thinking. Have you ever heard the phrase being of one mind? That that people are so alike, it's almost like they think uh, the same thing. It It's that kind of picture that's being presented here. That you and I have kind of the same thinking about ministry. We have the same thinking about following after Christ. And so Paul says, be like minded, have the same mind. Going on, that verse he says that we're to have the same love. All right, number one, what's our first love to be? Toward God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. So we're to, we're to have our the first love be the same. The love of God. Uh, love for God. And then there's also the second command is love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And then we we get this picture in the New Testament that what Christians are to be like is that they're to be loving one another. Flip over to John chapter 13 real quick. Flip back John chapter 13. Jesus actually tells us one of the supreme characteristics of a Christian, what should be one of the predominant characteristics of our lives. John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. That's a huge command right there. That love one another even as or in the same way that I have loved you. And there's the key. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That one of the fundamental characteristics that's supposed to be in my life is my love for you. One of the fundamental characteristics of what it means for you to be a member of this body is that you love that person over there. You love that person over here. That should be one of the defining things about us. And you see, when we have that kind of love for one another, a lot of these things, these problems kind of melt away because we're not so concerned about the small, petty problems but instead, we're focused on our love for one another. Remember how we've talked before about what love really means? Our, our culture tells us that, that love is this emotion that we have for one another. Uh, you know, that's not what Paul is speaking about here. It, it's not a, a, this overflowing emotion, necessarily, that, that you have for her, he has for you over here. What he's speaking about is this, this intense commitment and desire for the good of the other person and so he's speaking here that that you will be committed to my good and that I am going to be committed to your good and that if we are thinking that way and if our minds are together in that then what we're actually going to be doing is working for one another's good we're not going to be saying and doing things that pull apart in the body or that tear down but we're actually going to be working for the benefit of one another, which leads to the glory of God. So, have the same love uh, for one another. Then the third thing that he says there uh, in that verse is that we're to be intent on one purpose. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. same, Same idea there. What is our purpose? We have to think, why are we here? It is not for us but it's for what psalm 115 1 says remember not to us not to us but to you alone be the glory that's why we're here we are here as grace baptist church for the purpose of god receiving all glory why are we here this morning for worship? We're gathered together to praise and worship that God will receive all the glory. Why do we, re- we do evangelism? We do evangelism so that people will hear the name of the Lord and that God will be glorified through that. Why are we going to prove? We're going to prove so that the people there will hear the name of the Lord so they'll come to know him. God will be glorified through that. Why do you work hard at your work? Not so that you'll do better at work or get a raise or whatever but so the name of God will be glorified. Everything that we do goes back to the glory of God. And that's our purpose. In everything, and what does it look like to do that? I read a um, I read an interesting blog this week, uh, and it was about um, about fans, fans of sports, fanatics, uh, <clears throat> and it talked about how um, fans of sports, true not true fans, not just you know the people on the sideline, you know whatever, but but the you know the, when you think about a fanatic, that fan, you know is you know full painted and, you know, has the cheese head or whatever, if they're a Packer fan or whatever it might be. The, you know, the diehard, hardcore fan. It talked about how those folks are a great picture of what it means to worship. Because when it comes to, to their sport, they are uh, they're giving their all to it. You know, they are training up their kids how to be a UK basketball fan. And say, they, they teach them that, you know, you don't... You don't follow Cardinals, you don't follow Duke, you don't like Tennessee. You know, the, 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 who you're supposed to like and who you're not supposed to like. <coughs> and and they, they have the way that they dress, the way they dress proclaims and tells, this is who I am. And, and when it comes to, uh, to the time for the game, nothing interferes because this is who I am. And the reality is they present a great picture of what it means to be a fan, a follower of their sport or their team or their person, whoever it is. And it's a great picture really for me and you of what we should be like. That our very nature, everything that we do, cries out, says, this is my purpose. This is who I am. If you, if you have a diehard UK fan, there'll be no doubt that they're a follower of UK, right? You're not going to think, well, maybe they're Duke. Maybe they're Alabama fan. I don't know. You're going to know. If we are intent on one purpose, if our, if our life is given totally to one direction, there's not going to be doubt of what that direction is. Because the, by the nature of who we are, And everything that we do is going to be proclaiming that. And so we are to be this body that is set on one direction toward the glory of Christ. (laughs) And so Paul says, be united in that. Be set, intent on that. But what Satan wants to have happen is that our eyes get distracted. And I know you know what this means. Because what happens is all the stuff of life comes in. Busyness, kids, grandkids, job, building, whatever. Those things just invade your life. And you're just swamped. And you have a thousand things going on. And it's so easy for all those things to become a distraction so that our mind and our purpose begins to go another direction when we know our direction is supposed to be toward Christ. And so Paul says, be intent on one purpose. And so I say, grace, Baptist Church. Let us... Let's be intent on one purpose, pointing toward the cross. Everything that we are, everything that we do. If, if, if we do that, then a lot of these other things that Paul's talking about are going to fall into place. Okay, so number one, have, have the same mind. Let our, let our minds be the same. Number two, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing out of selfishness. Now I am, I am learning more and more what selfishness really looks like. I, I know that I'm a selfish man uh, and, and I know what that, what that looks like at me, but I, I now have almost a two-year-old and I can really, really see selfishness uh, just flowing out of the, of the human heart. Uh, <laughs> Caleb is, is uh, he's almost two years old now and, and uh, he's talking a lot, and he's very verbal. Uh, and and he, one of his favorite words is mine. It's mine. And he has uh, a, a stuffed giraffe that he loves to sleep with. And, and if I take that, if I'm holding it, he'll scream and say mine. He wants it, or his blanket. Said mine. I can't. He he doesn't want me to have that. It's his. And so, even if even if I say no, no, Daddy wants to, Daddy wants to hold it. It's it's a huge scream, mine. You know, it's almost a meltdown because he doesn't get to hold his blanket for uh, for one minute. Uh, The reason for that is is because because he's a he's a human. He's he's really no different than me or you. He's he's just a little less contained than we are. I'm my heart's still that way. I'm still selfish. I want my way. Isn't that true? We want our way. If we examine our hearts, we look at our hearts, then the reality is we're going to look and see a heart that's, that's pretty similar to Caleb's. I doubt it expresses itself in the same way. At least I hope not. But that's in our hearts. Paul says take a look at your heart. Take a look at your heart and turn away from that selfish desire. Look at what your heart is, and then look at Christ. He is the example of what our hearts are to be. Because he had, I don't know how any other way to put it, he had every reason, humanly speaking, to not come to this earth experience it, all the troubles and pain and frustrations that come with just being human. But it says that he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And so the picture that Paul gives is us doing a similar kind of thing. So we don't look to our own rights. We don't look to what we want ourselves. But we humble ourselves. We don't think highly of who we are. We don't think highly of what we need. Instead, what we do is we regard one another as more important than yourself. Do nothing out of selfishness. Humble yourself. And then look to others as more important than yourself. Now, now I I want to be honest. This is one of the hardest things in this passage to look at others and the needs of others as more important than yourself. Because the reality is you, you and I don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't want to put someone else, someone else's desires and needs before our own. But if we're going to be in, intent upon the cross, if we're going to be this church that, that is set on that, then, then each of us, me and you, that's what's going to have to happen. So that we look not for our own needs, our own desires, but we look, first of all, to the cross and seeking while we can serve minister, love and care for one another. I want to think just two quick implications about this. Two implications of regarding one another is more important than yourself. All right, number one. I think one of the first implications that come from this is that we're actually going to know each other. It's hard to put the real needs of each other before your own needs if you really don't know each other. And so I want you to think for just a second or maybe maybe even glance to the opposite side of the room. I know you on left side over here are left side people because you are there every Sunday and you on the right side are these right side people or left right whichever way you want to do it but you know these are your seats (laughs) glance and see the people across the room do you know them do you know who these folks are can you name the names of those folks you know if they have kids you know the kids names you know anything going on in their life you know if they have any struggles i I know we're not going to be the you can't know you can't have everybody in here be your best friend just because there's what, 315 people in here, something like that this morning. That's not going to happen. But <clears throat> the reality is that, that if we're a body, we we really need to be, be aware of one another and know each other. Be able to say each other's names. We've got this great handy tool called a directory. It's got pictures in it, people's names in it. Easy. You can kind of study along that. Um, not everybody's pictures are in there, but almost everybody uh, in the past... Uh, year or two has been put in there <clears throat> but we have that great tool so number one if we're going to look out for the interests of one another we really actually kind of have to know one another at least to a degree second implication I will put from this draw from this is that very simply we have to think of others before ourselves the temptation really is to say I want this I need this and when it's put into the context of where we are as a church right now, and the reality that we're we're moving toward this building and everything, the the real temptation that we're going to face is to look at some things that have been done and say, "Well, they shouldn't have done that." I wanted it this way, or when you get in your Sunday school classroom and you say, "Well, why? I wanted different chairs," or you look in the sanctuary and say, "Well," I really wouldn't have done that. Why did they do that? And, and and these things start to kind of roll around in our mind, and, and we start getting frustrated about about these little things that, that you know, may seem important, but really in the big scope of things, you know, don't matter all that much. When somebody else may, may look at that paint color and say, man, I really like that. And someone else looks at it and says, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's okay. It's like that. Uh, you know, I don't like it, but they do. I'm not going to worry about it because I'm excited that they like it. And, and, and we do that in those little things. Then, then we do it, and in, in that kind of spreads into bigger things too. So that, we, so that we look to one another and we and we start thinking, what does she really need? How can, how can I meet her needs? Or, you know, I, I've seen that he's struggling. What, What can I do just to reach out to him and encourage him or lift him up in some way? And so we go from kind of these small things to, um, to, to the bigger things, how, how we can serve and minister uh, to one another because we're not looking out after what we want, but we start looking at each other and we start looking and saying, you know, what can I do to minister to that family? What can I do to help them out? What can I do to help them in Christ so they are growing in the Lord or I'm meeting their needs or I'm fellowshipping with them, whatever it is that their need is at the time. So number one, Be of the same mind. Number two, do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit. Number three, (coughs) it's very related to this, is verse four. Don't look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. And I really think this gets to the heart of what it means to love one another. Is that we think not for what we want or what we desire, but our first thought goes toward what does that person need? What can I do for that person in the name of Christ? This is this is not easy. The reality is it's not easy to think this way. Because you and I know, you know what our hearts are like. It's so easy just our first thought to be for ourselves. But as we continue on as as Grace Baptist Church, as we continue seeking after Christ, as we continue to keep ourselves pointed in that direction, our thought has to be not toward what is it that I want, what is it that I need, but our, our thought has to be outward toward one another. And what can we do to serve one another? What can we do to minister to one another? How can we love one another? How can we be what the body presents or what Scripture presents as the body being? So Philippians chapter 2, we get one of the most amazing pictures in Scripture of who Christ is. But Paul says, I want you to look at that and I want you to have the same attitude that Christ had. That you humble yourself and that you seek not your own wants, but you give yourself to the service of the other members of the body of Christ for the glory of Christ. That's what we need to be that needs to be us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this picture that you have given us uh, of Christ. And it truly is an astounding thing to think that Christ took on flesh, that the Son took on flesh born in humble circumstances, experienced great pain and suffering beyond anything we can ever imagine. And that we're given the command to have the same mind as Christ. God, I pray that you'll work in us. Work in us so that that will occur. God, we know that it's a supernatural thing for us to, to think beyond ourselves supernatural thing for us to have the mind of Christ. God, I pray that by your grace and for your glory, you'll work in each of our hearts to give us a heart, a love for one another, a love for ministering to one another. Help us to put ourselves to death. put to death the selfish desires and the the sinful desires that are within us And, and let our minds reverberate with the thought of how we can serve one another not for the sake of being good church members or being good Christians but for the sake of your glory because we know as we do that we give a picture of Christ And so, Father, I pray that you'll work that among us for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.